Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sand Talks Technology. Hello, good afternoon, Marlowe. Hello, the web. How are we? Yes, it's Wednesday. I'm back again, and this week I'm joined very happily, I have to say, by two good old... Well, I was going to say old friends of mine, but old in time, not in their spirit. Uh, I'm joined today by Thomas and Penny Power. Hello, chaps and chapette. How are you? Hello, Sam. Welcome to Marlowe FM. Um, Yes, so we're going to be talking about your books today. Penny, first of all, uh, let me try and introduce you. So Penny and Thomas are entrepreneurs. Uh, They're very seasoned. I think, Thomas, you were saying off air about 30 years in the IT business. Yeah, certainly mid eighties. Yeah, Penny, long, long about time. the same for you. Yeah, I joined in eighty three. Yeah, we've known each other about twenty years in that time frame. We're going to be talking about Penny's book first of all, and then we're going to be talking about Thomas's. Penny, your book's called what? It's called Business is Personal. Indeed, it is. Uh, it came out yesterday, I believe, on Amazon. It did. It's released on Amazon, and very exciting day. And it's also on Audible, which is how I managed to read it last night. Um, it's a great book, I have to tell you. Uh, we're going to talk about the journey that you went on, which is very personal. It, that's what the book's all about. It's your story from, I guess, the last 20 years, maybe more. Yeah, chapter two is um, it's called Being Broken. Right. And it, I do share a story. Um, I was very um, determined for this not to be an autobiography or uh, anything that's self-indulgent because I want the readers to find a way of healing themselves or avoiding some of the, the things that I've gone through. So you say the readers. Who, who are you targeting this book at then? Who would you say would be your reader? Yeah, so when I sat down to plan it, I I did write a description of the person who, and I had to feel like I was, it's like when you blog, you have to feel you're imagining the person that you're actually talking to and having a conversation with. They're very much the entrepreneur, but I, so I, the business owner. I don't think everybody would call themselves an entrepreneur. I have quite a strict definition of what an entrepreneur is in my own head. Go on, what, what's your definition then? So I say I'm two people. Well, sometimes I'm a small business and sometimes I'm an entrepreneur. And I do find that those mindsets are really different for me. Um, when I'm a small business, I'm definitely driving income, working with clients, invoicing them. And it's a, the priority is income. When I'm in entrepreneur mode, I'm driving asset, okay. taking more risk and building something that's more scalable and something that has more impact. And which hat do you prefer wearing? Um, I love being an entrepreneur because I do like, I like big ideas personally. I like having big impact. Um, and I have some really strong beliefs and passion around um, the subject that we started on with Academy 20 years ago, which I'm sure we'll touch on. Yeah. Um, but equally, when I'm in small business mode, and I don't say that in a derogatory sense because I love it and, and it's what makes the economy thrive, um, that's when I'm coaching or doing my speaking or writing my book or, and I'm doing things that are driving invoice, uh, invoices and income. But it means I'm directly supporting someone. Okay. And I love that because then, you know, I'm really in touch with people then. Yeah, George Bush once said, it's a shame the French didn't have a word for entrepreneur. <laughs> Love that man. Yeah, um, so, Thomas, a little bit about yourself, because you've got a book out as well. What's your book called? My book is, bought, is called Tokenomics. Oh, it's written okay. with a Chinese man from New Zealand, from Wellington, called Sean O. Oh. His real name is uh, Xianu. Okay. X-I-A-N-U. And it's all about the blockchain, ICOs, security tokens, and the shift to a crypto world. And I think after the news, what would be nice is if we cover a little bit about that as well. But obviously you had a joint 
uh, history together, apart from man and wife, you both formed Academy. Can you tell me what Academy was? For those who don't know, obviously I do, but for those who don't know, what was Academy? So Academy was um, the f- world's first. Uh, nobody's disputed that, and that's what it's on Wikipedia as. a uh, Social network for business owners. It was formed in 1998. Um, and at that time, people were no friends reunited in MySpace. There was sort of what weren't even termed social networks, but there were... So what did you term it we, What did you call it? We called it a social business network. Okay, so not far off from what people ended up calling. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, Mm. And it was an idea born actually from observing Thomas's life when he sold a business and went self-employed. And you see how hard you work getting clients and delivering for that client. And if you're naturally a people-driven person and like networking, it can be quite hard. And then there was this global opportunity for people to connect globally, share ideas, collaborate, be friends, travel, see each other, expand. And we decided it would be amazing to create a really heartfelt community of friendship for business. And back then, e-commerce was the theme of the moment, like blockchain is the theme of the moment now. And I've got a reputation for connecting people, putting them together. Really? I I hadn't noticed. And so (laughs) Penny had this idea, let's create Academy. It was like the Institute of E-commerce, a place you could learn and network and develop your career and develop your business. And... It began and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, I mean, how big did it get? I mean, you know, what at sort its of peak, numbers? it was uh, six hundred and fifty thousand members. That's amazing, considering back then we weren't all online, we weren't all connected, and, and being online wasn't obviously the main thing. Now, you know, it's the given thing, but every business didn't have a website. Every business wasn't there, really. Well, and also it was uh, it was a SaaS before SaaS, because people paid £2 a month or £10 so that's a that's a software as a service, yeah. Software as a service. And uh, it was funded in many ways by the members. It was crowdfunded as, okay. it, as it grew. So we had private capital and member capital, and it was it was a paid-for subscription service. So, so okay, so it's growing nicely. You, you're, you're inventing new things that weren't out there. I I mean, you know, I remember being in Microsoft in my day explaining what Ethernet was and email to people and then in Netscape explaining what a browser was. So you must have been explaining what social networking was and how to benefit from it. Yeah, there was no roadmap. We just had a belief system about how you should network more about who you are than what you do. And uh, Thomas came up with the phrase friendship first, commerce second. Okay, and that's nice. And, um, and, And as we trailblazed ideas and our amazing tech guy uh, led by Julian Bond uh, as they coded it. There was no off-the-shelf code at that time to deliver. So we were all uniquely coding fresh stuff. But yeah, the biggest, biggest challenge was educating people. I mean, in March 99, when we stood on a crate in the IOD in their wine cellar, 27 people came along and we said, we've got this idea. You know, there's a huge number of people that said, well, you couldn't possibly create trust and friendship online. Um, do you think you, you can? Do you, now, in hindsight, do you, do you feel that's possible? Or So I think later in the book, in that chapter, Being Broken, I talk about the journey of Academy. Yeah. And obviously it broke us in many ways, our spirit, our self-worth, financially. It was a very tough challenge uh, for us when in 2011, 14 years later, it, uh, it did have to leave our lives. Um, but the saddest feeling for me, actually, was that we did 
think that the internet, a bit like Sir Tim Berners-Lee when he first came up with the World Wide Web, we did believe it was going to be a force for good. And, and actually, though we charged people, it allowed us to validate who people were. And that was really critical because it allowed us to ban people and set up cookies and, and be able to make sure that the, the, the nasty side, the dark side that we see didn't come in. It also meant that we didn't have to sell them as data. Right. Because they were paying for the platform. But is, is that because the concept of selling people for data hadn't existed and there was no buyer? Or was that because you actually thought, no? See, because I, I always there think... There were plenty like, of buyers for the data, Sam. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 they were. See, because I think today, I would I pay £10 to be on Facebook, as mm. an example? It's a good question. You know, would I, would you... I would. Yeah, I, I would, would as well. I, just... I would if I was able to um, p- feel more in a, a gated area where I felt safe. Well, if yeah. it got rid of all the spammy ads and it, yeah, it meant yeah. that my data wasn't sold and I had the privacy and, and control. Watch, yeah, and you see the behaviour of people change yeah, so I mean, in that environment. Again, head of the curve, guys. Mm. I would still like to see a premium service on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, e- even $100 a month for the people who prepare to pay that money because then you know they're serious, because I like to meet the serious networkers, the serious connectors. I'm not really caring about the price, I'm caring about the person. I think the the downside to it is where people then go, well, you know, if I'm not wealthy enough, I can't participate in the conversation. And is it a wealth thing that determines, you know, because not all people who haven't got money have still got something interesting to say, let's say. Yeah, we did have that. True. You know, as we spread across countries, and we ended up being in 52 countries, 5,000 offline events a year, and people were running groups and things all around the world. We did have that question in certain areas, and we could adjust the pricing to enable, you know, some some economies to come in at, at obviously, a, d- a different price. Um, but, you know, there were, there were ways of people, £10 a month... When, peop- when you look at the coffee industry and how it's grown and how most small businesses now sit in coffee shops yeah. spending a fortune, how much we just spent, you know, when we were together. Um, you know, it didn't... It, I don't think the price was the barrier. It was the mindset. Yeah, I mean, I, I, re- I recall, you know, being being a consumer of eCademy, mm. um, I, I, I had to wonder... I think it was the, it was the nature for me, what was... Because you had these things called black stars, yeah? <laughs> yes. And I, I, I kept thinking, why would I step to that next level? And I don't know if I ever got the value proposition, maybe because I wasn't inside to find out. That must have been a hard thing for you to sell, because no one was selling the idea of paid subscription to anything. Everything was free. The internet was free. It was very hard. We launched that in November 2004, and I handpicked about 100 people to be the first black stars, the premium members, if you like, with private events and lunches and dinners and so on. And I went through the people, Julian ran me a report of the of the people who spent the most time on the platform. Okay, which is a perfect people uh, to pick. And I he he actually printed me a thousand people and ranked them by time on site over the last twelve months. And I went through and started at number one and I wrote to them and called them and said we'd like to set up this group, a life membership group, a more intimate group, because we both believe in small intimate groups. And yeah. people started to say what will it mean? Will I get to spend more time with you and Penny? And I said, yeah, you get more time with us, but also you'll get more time with people like you. And one of the challenges we were always asked, as always asked on Academy, was, Thomas, I've, I've just joined Academy and I, just, I, want, I only want to meet the right people. And I used to say, well, who are the right people? It's very hard to define who are the right people. Am I the right people? Are you the right people? 
And the thing, the thing about the amount you pay is it does define your serious. And whilst not everyone can pay, admittedly, it, it showed people were committed to the platform, committed to the idea, committed to the community, committed to the small intimate group. And thus we started with, uh, with like 100, 150 people. We started to run events and we realised that people wanted a, a higher degree of intimacy and support, which, which I would still like from LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook and is not available. Right. I, I feel like they've built systems, not communities. And I, I, I still miss the uh, being part of a small intimate group in Academy and going to events in, in Paris and Amsterdam and, and London and Sydney. And I, I really valued having those little groups around the world where everyone was committed to the same action of connecting people, supporting people, introducing people, making referrals, giving small businesses the support that they needed. I mean, one of the trends I'm noticing is the social media sites, the big ones, the silos, the Twitter, the Facebook. People, well, I am certainly disengaging from them more. Um, I've got a, a private WhatsApp group, which is all the dads in Cookham Dean where I live. And, you know, we, can, we, we feel safe. We know everyone in that little small group. Um, we, we can joke, we can laugh, we can put questions to each other. And, and, and it goes back to that smaller tighter more managed group rather than oh if we put it up onto facebook well who might see it who might know about it it's not that we're saying anything wrong it's just that it's our personal business we don't need so maybe you know academy again you know that was the right way to go i've always believed in small intimate groups because you as soon as a group goes beyond like 20 people it's hard to manage your dad's group in cookham dean I'm, i don't know how many dads it is it's called the cookham dean chamber of commerce <laughs> okay, but how many dads would be in it? 40 plus, yeah. yeah so it's quite a lot, 40. Well, yeah, but it's, it, it's, it's managed. Um, I, I just think to, to, be, to really support one another in business, you have to have a deep conversation. It's hard to have a deep, intimate conversation in a big group or in a big room or on your feet. You've got to be sitting, sitting down around a table and spending time listening and asking questions of one another. It's hard to do that in big environments. And the Black Star Group spread to most of the major cities around the world. And I still believe that's the right model. And then, obviously, we were swept away, which Penny covers in her book, by this giant free thing, which to me has just ended up as that being fake, LinkedIn. fake news and noise. LinkedIn, would that be? I think, LinkedIn, I think all three of them yeah. swept us away, yeah. Yeah, they did. I mean, I think Thomas really encouraged our members to join LinkedIn when it was launched with Reid Hoffman. In fact, he mailed all our members and... And about 40,000 of our members joined LinkedIn all in a very short period of time. And Reid Hoffman then blocked Thomas from being able to connect with anybody else. And there's still a 40,000 limit because of that. I think he thought Why we were does doing that not something sinister. Me? But, you know, Thomas and I have always believed it's not about us, it's about the member and what they should do. And LinkedIn was obviously going to be a phenomenal resource. And the thing is, I think that the online world has great parallels with the offline world. And I think that we were that lovely pub in the town with the the leather seats that had a little bit of a cut in it and the, you know, torn a bit and then the lovely hearth and the landlord that you, you felt familiar with. And it felt good. And then in came with the spoons or whatever you would say next to yeah. it. Not only was it flashier in a way and had more money to put stuff into the bar, um, but it did bring in a different crowd. And everybody flocked to that because it looks so shiny, exciting. And I'm going to have free beers there. So but eventually, I think people 
genuinely, I, in the last two years, I cannot tell you how many people have sent messages to Thompson. I say, no, when are you going to do it again? Well, I yeah. was going to ask, would you do it again? We would. And we're starting... Um, we had to really heal. You know, anybody that's listening... How long has that healing process taken? A decade? It took more? me five years to realise I was broken. Right, OK. So I think this is what I write about in our book. I, I, I can go into a lot of detail of that because on the face of it, I wasn't. Because anybody who goes into scarcity, anybody who's got a family, children, all the things, you cannot give up. So you do keep going, but you go on with the scars and the scars are deep and, yeah, they sort of... They get covered up but they're still there and ultimately they start to cause arthritis or whatever, you know. Yeah. And therefore, you know, eventually it gets to a point where you've got to go and, and, and deal with it, and which is what I did last year. And Thomas had his own um, challenges last year as well, physically. So it's quite interesting. It took a while. Now, I've, as I say in the book, there's a lovely quote, Lao Tzu. He says, um, bef- to be whole, first allow yourself to be broken. Right. And I love that. And it, it's very, you know, allow yourself to be broken is different to waiting until you're broken completely and then putting the pieces back together when I think I caught myself. But now I feel more whole than ever before. Yeah, in the book you mentioned the fact in Japan when yeah. they break a bowl, they, yeah. they fix it with gold and they say it's actually better than the original. Yeah. It's more beautiful. It's more beautiful. We had this, funnily enough, we bought some of these beautiful porcelain Wellington boots that sit as a sort of a plant, you know, on your, on your patio. Thomas is not known for his DIY. DIY. He never Damage it yourself is what ne- Thomas yeah. does. He yeah. never repairs anything. But last year, he loved these. Last year, somebody pushed them over and they smashed and I thought they would end up in the bin. And then he went off and bought glue and put it together. This seems to be one of his most treasured possessions now. <laughs> it is. Because he put so much love into repairing it. Hannah, it Ross, that's in meta- the will. <laughs> yeah. It was amazing, the metaphor that I just watched take place. It's so true. But it's d- deeply about learning to value yourself. So... We're starting with um, Black Star. One of the greatest things in it were the intimate groups, which we did. We called them boardrooms, um, board you can't afford. And you see these. There are lots of great ones, Vistage, Ace, loads of them around that are fantastic. We love doing that. So we're going to start that this year. Okay. And um, we're almost going to start from that point and then grow and listen to the market. And if the market wants it, we're here. If the market's not ready for it, doesn't believe in what we believe in, um, then we won't do it. Um, you know, we're not so gung ho as we were when we were in our in our early thirties. <laughs> really? Oh, no. but, but we have a lot of the. We still have the emotion to climb that mountain and 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 build that dream. So let, let's but, take a step back, if we can, for a second before. Um, Academy's growing. Uh, you've got Black Star. It's all going great guns. Um, and okay, you've got competition. That's that's every business has competition. Was the UK VC market responsive, or were they, from what I remember, mm. typically pointless? Mm. Yeah, I went and saw hundreds of them, Sam. Hundreds pitched, hundreds of them changed the deck, pitched again, changed the deck, pitched again. Hundreds and hundreds. I met pretty much every single one of them in the UK. Uh, just got a, a no no. The the only the only piece of advice we got was move to california move to san francisco do it all there once the subscription business was away in 2002 and that was too big a decision for us with uh, three young children yeah. so so we never got any support from the vcs and the uk uh, capital markets yeah i mean uh, i have to say my my view of the uk vc market was pretty poor unless you were one of their best buddies you know mm-hmm. let's talk about 
companies like Zoopla without Alex Chesterman being best buddy with, you know, Sol Klein and in that network, you weren't going to get money. So um, I don't think they've ever been a very good supportive network, in my opinion, and which is why we don't see, you know, the LinkedIn competitor because they didn't support the growth. We, we haven't seen the Google competitor. We haven't seen, you know, all these companies that could have been never came because they never supported them. Do you know, I'm, I'm working with some lads called the Max and Andreas that they've got this brilliant idea, World Labs, and they've now on Cedars with it. Um, and it's, uh, I'm going to support them because I really believe in it. And it's, in a way, it, for me, it feels a bit like Academy for the younger. And we often get, we were always getting asked and we're even more now because people have grown older with us saying, you know, can't you bring an Academy for the young, young, our children, our sons and daughters? And um, I've talked a lot with them about the way that investors have treated them. They've got a brilliant idea. They're now crowdfunding. And when you sit down, and I've spoken to a number of their members that are in their community because they basically are an incubator um, platform for companies to use or universities to use. And so as a result of working with them, I've met a lot of very young, incredible young disruptors, entrepreneurs. I cannot believe the advice they're being given by investors. These investors, it's like talking to investors from 30 years ago. Mm. They're old money. They don't understand new ways. And it's terrifying. And they're having to bend a business model that looks incredible, an unscaled business model, as one of the greatest VCs written about in his book, Unscaled, um, the way that, you know, some fantastic businesses have been built without huge assets and, you know, where you're leveraging uh, um, other people's assets, etc. Some amazing ideas. They're not getting the investment because I think so much of the money in this country still sits with old money. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, we're, we're going to come on to Thomas's book later on. We'll be talking about ICOs and the impact that they may have on creating new forms of funding. But, um, okay, so so at the time, Academy um, wasn't getting it, but you, you managed to get funding in, um, you know, having read the book. it's um, And you were about to do an AIM listing. So what happened? Why aren't we here with gold-plated Rolls-Royce? What happened next? Oh, don't give that away. Oh, OK. <laughs> it's only a gold-plated Mercedes, I'm sorry. It was, it was timing. We raised in February 2000, so just after the, uh, the FTSE 100 peaked at 6,900 in December 1999, we raised uh, about 850,000 to pay for that uh, IPO, that AIM listing. And we had a date set of March the 18th. And you may remember, I think it was March the 13th that Last FM, Brent and Martha floated. Not Last FM. Last, last, last FM, sorry. Last Minute. Yes. Beg your pardon. Last FM was a, another one. <laughs> yes, yeah. another one. And uh, li- literally, the mar- they got away, they raised, and the market collapsed after that, and ours was cancelled. So we were valued at Ouch. 60 million. Um, the, we were raising 20 million. We were going to have that public market capital coming in, and we were going to expand massively because we thought it was a real winner. We had no LinkedIn, no Facebook, no uh, no Twitter, obviously back in those days, uh, and it got cancelled. And we we missed it, and we'd already spent the 850,000 on the IPO. So then we really had to dig in and figure out how we could. Uh, shift to an income model and we we tried advertising we didn't get advertising and then we launched subscriptions in 2002 and uh, two pound a month 10 pound a month 100 pound a month eventually and it gradually gradually built up very slowly to uh, to a decent business of about a million pounds a year by 2005 and nice. that was enough That's to, good business to support it and to support the four of us Julian did a fantastic job on the code Glenn ran the operations beautifully and Penny and I 
she she did a lot of the front, the PR, the marketing, and I taught people how to use it. I sat in the IOD, literally had one-to-one uh, with people, 10 a day for... Wow. I met 3,000 members face-to-face and taught them how to use the system at 2002, 3, 4, and 5, and... We that, had to teach that. people what a web log was. You know, yeah. How to upload we a photo. Ideas that nobody had ever heard of. I know. It, it's painful when you look back, isn't it? Because it's now it, it's just common knowledge, or at least not common knowledge, but at least, you know, you, you've gone beyond that learning curve. You're into, if you were teaching things that were slightly at the edge, most people still now know how to upload a photo. There's the mobile phones. It's much, much easier, the whole thing, I think. Um, so my question, I, I guess, then is... Um, Moving forward, um, at what point did you then say, well, enough's enough? We never said that. Ah, what did you say? <laughs> we fought and fought. We put our house on the line. We which put is, our we, uh, which was the line. shock moment in the book for me. I, I, and, I, you know, we've, we've talked about this briefly because it, it's my personal red line, mine, not yours, clearly. Um, just because that, that, to me, gets to the point where Business is personal, but that's beyond personal for me. Um, you really did go all the way, didn't you? We went all the way, and we fought and fought and fought and fought and kept fighting even against the free model and tried to make the subscription business work, but people wanted everything for free, and eventually we did lose everything right. as a result. And that, and that healing process, in answer to your earlier question about healing... I would say it's taken me the last seven years to recover from that mentally right. and, and physically and had some illnesses along the way. Yeah, but it's fantastic, you know, being interviewed like this and uh, and being allowed to be more open about it in itself is is so healing when you get things out there. But do you, I think it's worth saying because I think there are, during the banking crisis, a lot of people were hurt. Um, and um, we had a, in 2008, we went to a bank and we... We still had revenue going through the business, but we pr- uh, presented this new business plan and model to this bank at a time when they were very desperate to give people money. And they loaned us £250,000. And it gave us a five-year period to pay it off and to turn the business around. And we were, and it was working. And we were, we didn't have to change the technology. We just had to change the business model and pivot it around. And then three years into that... Uh, they gave us 30 days notice to uh, pay off the final two years and um, that 30 days I don't I I can't ever express what that stress was like because you weren't only trying to save money that you've built that's all over the world but this was a home for people where all their content was on there all, all their connections were all there, all their blogs you know that they had poured into sometime some of them up to 10 years of content mm. And we were going to, we weren't going to be able to save it, and um, we couldn't. And so eventually, we m- met, knocked on the doors of the, the the most horrible people in the industry that buy distressed businesses. I, I mean, yeah. if you ever want to put yourself through hell, you go in front of those people. And we did it day after day. Um, I, I, I don't know why we we went through such self abuse in doing that. And eventually, somebody got it for a pound. A pound, yeah. A pound, so six hundred and fifty thousand member yeah. profiles, and a legacy. And at the um, time, we were the biggest business. Was that board. because you wanted to ensure the members could keep going? We believed that could. Um, we, we hoped they could would. take it on. Yeah. Okay. And um, the profiles and the and content. Did they? What happened? 
he did his version. I I don't want to slag off no, the no, guy I, who did it. Yeah, and I we know that's not there. what you're asking yeah. me for, but... Um, no. He tried. It's without us, it lost its intimate feel. Yeah, right. And um, yeah. Okay, so so that was the point where you both walked away, I guess, from the academy. Mm. Um, I'm going to play a track of yours first. Uh, this is uh, Whitney Houston that you wanted <laughs> me to play. It's called I Didn't Know My Own Strength. Why? Actually, this goes back to when I was 22. Ooh, but it okay. came back in my life at this time. When I was 22, I was joined a tech firm in High Wycombe called Rapid Recall. And I had a boss that was pretty tough on me. And he obviously didn't really want me there. And um, this song was being played because it was during the Olympics. And she was the, I think I was 22 around that time. It gave me, I remember driving from Reading to High Wycombe, listening to this every day to give me strength to go into the office. And uh, I think sometimes we don't know our own strength. Mm. Okay, well, let's listen to Whitney Houston. I didn't know my own strength. If you've got questions, if you've got thoughts, you can leave them on Sound Talks Technology. Uh, but until then, just enjoy a bit of Whitney. Be the end of me. I, I thought I'd never make it through. I had no hope to hold on to. I didn't know my own strength And I crashed down And I tumbled But I did not Crumble I got through all the pain I didn't know my own strength Survived my darkest hour My faith kept me alive I picked myself back up
was not built a brain. This is a lovely thing to do. Beautiful. There we go, Whitney Houston. I didn't know my own strength. Bring anything back? Yeah, it's very moving, isn't it? It's for the, the last line, you know, I wasn't built to break. Yeah, Whitney Houston, I, I actually have to say I do love and miss her. She's a wonderful singer that she was. Okay, so let's move on with the book and the journey. So we, we've we really got to, I, I guess, a low point. The, you know, Academy's um, no longer your baby. I, I, you know, of the businesses I've built in the past, I always treat them like one of my children. You put your blood, sweat and tears, your life into them. Uh, you know, there's no nine-to-fiving on <laughs> when you're an entrepreneur. Um, so how did you start to rebuild? What What was the process that you took yourself through? So after Academy, I I was really fortunate because I'd written my first book, which launched 10 years ago. Which, which was called, called? Know Me, Like Me, Follow Me. And funny enough, you had the 10-year challenge, didn't you, this week? I did, I know. <laughs> it was amazing, actually, because I looked through my pictures going back 10 years and suddenly came across that. I thought, oh, my God. How weird is that? So I got, yeah, two Sorry, books. we will ask in at the end, part. what's your next book? But we'll <laughs> yeah. find that out in 10 years' um, time. And um, so that actually gave me personally some opportunities. I went and had conversations in the government because they were closing with David Cameron and all the stuff that they went through. They were closing Business Link and all the support agencies and they asked me to talk about how they could support businesses online and stuff. Um, and I wrote Digital Business Britain Manifesto. Out of that, I came up with the idea of um, why isn't there a digital marketing apprenticeship? 373, I think, frameworks for apprenticeships, and there wasn't one in digital marketing. So I got an investor involved in that, and um, I spent four years building an apprenticeship business, which was a phenomenal experience because it took me into a different sector, working with young people, learning funding in government. So that really distracted me. Um, and and it was it was very it was very good, but I had this moment when um, the investors they had their own um, agenda, put it that way. <laughs> yes, okay. Um, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blame them, but the chemistry between us was challenging. Um, and um, I had a fantastic guy who I talk about in my book, who was the operations director who worked with me, called Russell Butcher, who now runs apprenticeships for Starbucks. And he um, said to me one day they had heard about the concept of happiness on a documentary and the three parts of happiness are um, first part is 50% is your constitution and he said Penny you're a happy person uh, 10% is your ability to get what you want uh, out of life and we always want something else as soon as we've got it uh, we're wanting creatures as uh, Maslow says 40% is how much control you have over your life and decisions and it re- that cut to the core for me because I had given up I had an entrepreneurial business and mindset with this new second business, but I was again in pain because I'd given up any control and was being controlled. And I think that was probably when I first started to realise I was breaking um, because I should not have allowed it to happen. So you were still going down the process, even though you were in something that was very positive and Uh, very engaging? I was because I had given up. I think my self-worth was in the toilet and I didn't take the time it's a bit like grieving you know it is you need yes to grieve yeah you need to allow yourself time but when you go into scarcity you don't have time to grieve and and so you just keep going and and you know this whole phrase about entrepreneurship you know you must be resilient and what is resilience i had to learn what is resilience resilience to me meant put all your worries into a drawer and close it and never open it 
and not about dealing with did stuff. you ever open that drawer well that's what i did last year yeah with the book yeah with uh, no with um so what happened the catalyst was on the 30th of november 17 i was delivering a workshop to 40 people a workshop that i love delivering about how to build your personal brand online and and i got to know the people in the room for about an hour observing them when thomas was delivering the morning session knew all their faces and everything. When I stood up to do it, felt a bit of a blood rush, which I hadn't had before. And and then when I turned around, their faces started to morph in, and I was hallucinating and they were morphing into the faces of 17 trolls that trolled us. Oh, okay. And I couldn't understand what was going on. Anyway, I carried on, I carried on, I carried on. It was horrendous four and a half hours. Apparently at the end of it, the feedback forms were all right. I hadn't completely balls up my the day. But I took myself to hospital and said, I think I've had a bleed on my brain. Had all sorts of neurological tests. They said, no, I think you should see your GP. And when I walked into the GP, not only did she know some of the financial challenges we've been through, but also some personal challenges of losses and traumas that had gone on in our family. And she said, you know, basically, Penny, I've been waiting to see you. So I then went to see a psychologist. And um, I, think, I think you have to be very careful when you realise that you, there's something wrong. You know, there's a difference between low mood and depression or being anxious or anxiety. Um, and this psychologist knew how to handle my brain. <laughs> and, I, and I spent time with them and I did some group therapy. And what I learned along that process was there were so many characteristics of me and my personality that had allowed myself to be abused and abused be self-abusive around my lack of self-care um the, to yourself yeah and the lack of um uh, the what are called overdone strengths which elias porter talks about where you've got a strength maybe of being kind but if it's misapplied and it, you're overstretched so people were taking advantage yeah and i allowed it and and i had lost control and that was really critical so that's why the strap line on the book is be the leader of the life and business you want yeah you talked about in the book about being uh, service, what was it? It was a servant leader. Yes, that was it. Yes, yeah. and and to explain a little well, bit about love, what you mean I by do that. I love that concept, I and mean, I don't want to change that leadership style. It's been in me since I first supervised a job when I was twenty. Uh, you know, to me, the type of leader I want is to make everybody else successful. Right. And um, and somebody said to me in academy when about two thousand two, he was a leadership manager or leadership coach or something, and he said to me, "You are a classic servant leader," and I think good community builders are and when I help people build communities or I consult or whatever on that subject you have to find people who have a natural bent towards being a servant leader uh, I get great joy from other people's success other people's happiness other people's sense of harmony and, and that suits me but where where do I sit in that and that's what I'd lost Thomas I mean obviously this must have been equally grieving for you you've got I, I suppose two two things in your head. One is there's your partner, your wife, the person you love grieving. You must be observing that because the social media world doesn't observe it because we always put up a front, but you can see it. And secondly, you must have been grieving because it was part of your life. What did you do? 2012 and 2013 were pretty bad for me. Um, I also had a burst appendix, which I think was the first of the uh, stresses coming out. But somebody... I was very depressed at events from Academy. But somebody said to me, um, TP, it's, it, you're not depressed, you're having a deep rest. OK, different way of saying it. And yeah. this, uh, this really helped me. And then I got contacted by some good friends who I know at Accenture and later at Microsoft, 
and they said, would you teach us how to do social media on LinkedIn and Twitter <laughs> and Facebook? And I said, well, would you pay me to do that? And they right. said, yes. And that began the healing process for me because I had some work, I had something to do, I was teaching, it was gentle. I was teaching, uh, dare I say, old executives like me, and it, it was very simple. Old was, dogs, new tricks. Old dogs, new tricks. Uh, his, his company was called Electric Dog. <laughs> and um, then in 2014, I was invited to join a board in, in New Zealand called Nine Spokes. And I would say Accenture, Microsoft and Nine Spokes sort of lifted me out and began the healing. And it was gentle, teaching, supportive, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook blogs, videos... Helping, as you say, uh, teaching old dogs new tricks. Uh, and that, that helped me heal. Um, uh, I sort of gradually, gradually came back. Um, and then I got another health shock last year, and then I had to get through that. And I would say it's taken seven years, as I said earlier. To well, fingers crossed that's the, the last other side. Of it. Let's hope that's mm -hmm. the last of it. So, Penny, going back to the book mm -hmm. then. So, you know, we, we talked in the... Well, you, I say we. You, I, I had nothing to do with this book at all. Uh, you talked in the book then about um, how you moved forward from there. You know, in, in chapter one, you talk about being the accidental entrepreneur, mm -hmm. but then you talk about stop comparing yourself with social media and moving yourself forward. And then you talk about this thing called open, random, supportive. Can you explain what that is, please? Well, that's Thomas the genius. I mean, Thomas really, his grief was much deeper and faster than mine because he put more into Academy than I did. He really devoted himself. He's such an unconditional giver and networker. Um, and to a certain extent, I don't think he really knows how to protect himself in that. And, and so, and in 2009, he... Um, came up with this concept, being interviewed live on a sort of a, a YouTube channel, um, when he was asked, what's the mindset of the, the new connected person? And he said they have to be open, they have to be um, random, accept the random, and um, be supportive, ORS. And he said the world's coming from an institutional thinking place of being close to selective and controlling, the total opposite of each of those so closed, not open, selective, not random, and um, controlling, not supportive. Dare I say Brexit? Dare I say Brexit? Oh, my God, no. <laughs> yes. yes. I, I had to get it in right. once. I'm sorry, I got it in. Got it right, in. I've got it out of my system. Well done, well done. <laughs> yes, but, and, um, uh, yes. You know, we are going... This, this shift, this shift, I write about it in the book because there's a lot of people that have unrequited success now in their 50s. And when you look at what people in their 50s have had to endure, actually, I know they've not had a war necessarily, but they've had a personal battle in their lives, which has been huge. Isolation, the internet has isolated us. It's created a compare and despair type of world where everybody else looks like their life is bloody ace. Yep. But, you know, I call <laughs> and, it fake book. Yeah. It's, you know, and, it's, it's, and then they've had their business models disrupted. They have a business that they have massive skills for and then they're expected to have all these huge range of skills now around building personal brand and, net, you know, doing all this stuff online. Um, you know, you've seen the demise of the high street and how many businesses is that? We have been through so much. And yes, Brexit again. You know, there's a huge amount. And uh, we have to really, I think, pat ourselves on the back that we have survived this as, as individuals in this economy. It's vast, the transition we've gone through. And we're still going through it because we're not open, random, supportive as an economy. The investors aren't. Um, and it's not about saying... 
um, let's all build charities and social impact companies. But there is a movement now towards wanting businesses that are kind and supportive to one another and the right culture, somewhere people want to go to work. We as consumers want to buy from ethical companies. There's a huge shift taking place. I think we're, I think we're only in the beginning we of the are. shift. We are. We're in You're the beginning right. of the shift. And the next generation that I love supporting, and I'm seeing it in my own children, and I'm sure you see it in yours, is absolutely fantastic. They're the leaders of the future, and we have to get behind them. Um, and everybody has to wake up to, to a different type of economy. And it's a connected economy with a very different attitude to the way we treat one another. Yeah, I think our children are going to have it harder than we did, actually, sadly. I, 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 I hate saying that as a father as well. I think know. they're prepared. Yeah. I, I do I, think they're prepared. I think our children... So I, I, I recall being in my 20s buying my first house for 75000 but my salary was twenty five. Me too. And my, my, my wife, I didn't have a wife, my girlfriend at the time was on 25000 so we mm. between us, 50000 income, you know, uh, and a £75,000 house. That £75,000 house is probably now worth 400000 but my daughter's... Uh, my friend's daughter, who just left Bristol University, working with WPP, her opening salary twenty two thousand. I know, I know. And yet, there, there is no way. But but you're Doesn't looking at sense, it. You're it? looking at it with a filter. Dare I say, of your age, <laughs> like I would, because there a lot of this generation. This is why you see the nomadic generation. They're not clinging to assets in the same way. They, but it's they want they can't. to be freer. They can't, and therefore they're building different lives. Yeah, talk about your daughter. Go on, this is a perfect opportunity. Well, it brings tears to my eyes when I talk about my daughter. So Hannah um, is a obviously she's phenomenal. She's my daughter, I, I would say that. Not biased, <laughs> but that's okay. She's worked hard all her life. Um, she's 26 now, so I say all her life. You see people on X Factor saying, I've wanted this all my life, and they're about 12 years old. But you know, she's worked hard. She worked for Accenture, fantastic company. She then had a massive trauma um, happened to her uh, six months into working at Accenture, loving life in London, went to golf skiing in Morzine and was sadly abducted off the road and raped. God, I... Yeah, you didn't expect that. Um, uh, and I'm allowed to talk about this because okay, she's wow. not a victim. She's a survivor of it and wants to have her own impact in this subject matter. Okay. But it was another trauma that we, as a family, needed to, to get through. But she has been the most phenomenal inspiration to me in my life. She is who I want to be when I grow up. and um, That's a lovely expression. Her, her attitude to life is just amazing. And she now says, what happened to me has made my life better. Okay. And I'll tell you why she's gone into massive, deep understanding about what she wants out of life and what she's, what life needs to be like. So she did take herself off to Bali for a year, um, not to run away, to run towards something, to, in order to build her own digital business. Which she's got now. And she's now got a phenomenal digital it's business. It's called, for uh, those called who might... Power Nomads. Power Nomads. Um, but in her own look. light, she's got this fantastic ability to project manage. She's been trained very well at Accenture. Um, she's got a good heart and, and she's a, a bright girl. So uh, she's coming back to live in the UK on the 28th of February, I'm thrilled to say, because that's been a tough year, her being so far away. Yeah, I saw the photo of you waving her goodbye yeah, at the airport, sadly. Yeah, yeah. So she's, um, she's amazing. But she actually has plugged into these digital nomad communities to find developers and app developers. And this is a phenomenal communities around the world, sitting on beaches and co-working spaces. It's huge skills. Yeah, I mean, a friend of mine, Michael, is the gastro nomad. <laughs> and him and his wife 
have inspired a business I've got, which is um, they rent massive, great big farmhouses via Airbnb and run these weekend gastro chef wine cooking weekends. And they, they do Mexico and then they go off to uh, Barcelona and then all these other places. And yeah, so that's amazing. So I think, um, if I, yeah, you, I'll tell you, you more about it off air. One of her missions is, is uh, and it might sound a cliche, but it comes from a real place, is how do you create freedom in your life? And yeah, you, I, you value, you were saying the youth value freedom they, much more than we did. They they do. They want to work out how to be free. And it's not in a self-indulgent, instant gratification way. It's a, it's a real, you know, here is the economy that we've been born into. Maybe our parents effed it up <laughs> all, as a generation. Yeah. This is what we've got. How do we make the most of this and and live ethical, good lives, um, but don't become a, a drain on resources? And and I I take my hat off to to that generation massively. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've said to my daughter, I don't want her to go into corporate life. Mm-hmm. I want her to go and ski uh, mm-hmm. for a year. I know that sounds very, you know, middle class, first world problem. <laughs> That's very Surrey. Darling. Yeah. Well, we're, we're not in Surrey. We're in the much posher Royal Berkshire. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> You're the wannabes. We are the ones. Um, we have a queen in ours. You have a queen in yours. Yeah, exactly. Thank I've you. I've met her. Have sorry, you? Sorry, sorry. Uh, no. Oh, yes. Okay. One up. Boom, boom. Yes. Well done. Um, no. Well, yes, I have. Because when I was an army officer, she came to Santa's. Oh, well, but that's, that's very another. good. But she didn't really oh, well, meet me. She met one of a thousand of us. I can't really say I met her. Um, anyway, moving swiftly on. <laughs> you win. Um, for those who don't know, Penny got an OBE. Yeah. So, um, so... Uh, and I haven't, just haven't got Not yet. One. Not yet, not never. <laughs> um, but, okay, so again, with my daughter, it's okay, she's at uni doing the, th- the typical thing, but I don't want her to. I want her to, you know, in the same way that Hannah's done, um, a friend of mine, Tony Fish, you, you might know Tony. Oh, yeah. very well. Yeah, so Tony's in Australia, he's recuperating. Yeah. Uh, his daughter, basically the season at uh, Maribel, then she went to Australia, she's in New Zealand now, she's off to Japan, coming back to Maribel. So, I, 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 what I was trying to get across to my daughter uh, and another friend of mine, his daughter, uh, Val Carrick's daughter, she was working for some horrible agency in London, the typical boring thing. Mm-hmm. Saw her, one of these super cruise yachts going around Greece when she was on holiday, said, how'd you get that job? Ended up doing a crew course and was in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. So the funniest thing she said was, I was on this boat and it was Leonardo DiCaprio and Gabrielle over Christmas. Oh, my goodness. You know, and it was like uh, Leonardo was wheeling on a model one end and shoving them off the other end after a day or so. Oh dear. Um, but she said she had the greatest time. And, and, you know, and I think that in itself, that different way of thinking is what we will see, well, I guess. They know they've got to work till they're well into their 70s. Yeah. Well, we why, have as well. Why not give them a bit of a break at the beginning <laughs> if you can? But, but I don't think you know. I, in a way, I think some people, the media, some people think that they're this millennial are self-indulgent and you know gap years get too extended. But they have had a very complicated start in life. I think this in what they've absorbed around the world, right from you know the twin towers and all the stuff. You've got to think about what they've absorbed and and the messages they get about the economy and who do they trust and. I think they've got to be give a period of time to first realise that you trust trust yourself first, and you've got to know yourself first, and and then they will build their lives, and I think they'll be phenomenal, phenomenal. So I think one of the things I think that's going to be more important is relationships going forward, smaller, tighter relationships, deeper connections. I think that's going to be the trend going forward. I think, I well, I I, I fundamentally think 
the social media has lost its glamour, glitz. Um, I, I watch engagement online. It's much less from friends. Uh, it's, it's more sporadic. Um, I'm seeing more spammy emails from Facebook telling me something's happened to try and drag me back in. Um, Tara Hunt on LinkedIn put up a brilliant video where she talks about content and attention not being the value that they are, but it's relationships and building those. And it goes back to what you guys started, taking it full circle, back to eAcademy. I think, I think if you had the word at the time, I think it would have been the relationship economy that you were trying to build. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think it's worth considering that Facebook is 14 years old, 15 years old next month, and it's, it's got tired. Social media has got tired, and Academy got tired after 14 years. It might be that's their life cycle. But I know when people want support in business, or not just in business, people like small, intimate groups where they can really listen to their peers, support their peers, go through their issues, your issues, Penny's issues, and talk them through in a public space or place that's private, secure, intimate, and outside of work. And we always believed in those kind of groups, and obviously we were swept away by these monsters. But I think you're right. People want a, a relationship-based environment, a relationship-based economy. That's what, that's what I think, matters most. I think in work as well. I think what I mean by that is companies are spending hundreds of millions on ads, and 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 I remember watching automation. <laughs> well, I was well, I was watch, I remember going in to see my wife Gillian, who was at Microsoft at the time, and and people who were in the marketing department, and they had spreadsheets open. All they were measuring was number of clicks, number of likes, number of follows, and it was like. You know, if if the marketing money was taken away, those likes, those follows, those clicks would go. So there was no depth of relationship. You know, what you want is someone who, where you spend one dollar, will then go and tell ten friends because they're engaged with your brand or whatever you are, mm. rather than you have to spend ten more pounds on each one of those people to keep them engaged with you. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel a lot of social media does right now. It's and and online advertising. It's constantly spending money just to keep you there but there's no real depth you know Harley Davidson had that relationship I mean it may have lost it Um, but you know people would say oh I bought a Harley or you know and people will want to buy into that brand I think brands have to do that and I think people have to do that I think we need to you know you talk about building the brand you know the, the the seminar that you give and I think it's more, it's, it's more, and I think you said in the book, it's about quality, not quantity that we want. You know, more people doesn't mean better. No. It certainly doesn't. And engagement, you are right, Sam. Engagement is falling on social media. Followers are falling. Well, I don't use Twitter. I think it's boring now. Growth of these networks is falling because they've become noise and spam. Yeah, Fake I mean- news and things you can't trust. And as Tim Berners-Lee, Sir Tim Berners-Lee... You want me to stop? No, 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 no. Uh, Keep going. As he as he said, it's thirty years in March since he came up with the idea of the World Wide Web. It hasn't worked out as he expected. Well, after the news, which we're going to in about a minute or so, we will be talking about what Tim Berners Lee is doing because it relates very much to what your book is doing as well, which sure. is blockchain and and data and privacy. Um, obviously, I, I want to still carry on, Penny. So. In the book, um, <laughs> it was a note I made to myself. You, you talk about looking for happiness as a, a critical goal. Now, I, I don't know if you realised, but um, the American um, 
ethos is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, mm. not the pursuit of money, which I thought mm. was wonderful. The forefathers of America, I think, had at least understood that, that happiness was the goal, not pursuit of money and wealth. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think, you know, that story I told earlier about the three parts of happiness, you know, your constitution, things you want, um, that is important. But you, you also have to accept you can't be happy all the time. Things happen. But what I believe is that once you overcome a problem, your happiness returns and then you get a real boost of that dopamine. Uh, and um, so almost embrace the problems and, and be proud of yourself once you've found a way past them. You're listening to Sam Talks Technology, the UK's number one technology show. At least that's what Sam told me to say.
Here we go. Hoobastank and the reason. I won't tell you why and what the reason for that track is, but I just love it anyway. So, uh, welcome back. You're listening to Sound Talks Technology. Hello, it's Wednesday. We're here in Marlowe. I'm with my friends, Thomas and Penny Power. We've been talking about Penny's new book, The Business is Personal, and it is very personal. And anyone who's been an entrepreneur will know that's true. Uh, it's a roller coaster ride. Yeah, you hear about, you know, the winners more often than not. Uh, but, you know, there are times when everyone works really, really hard and they can do a great time, but they just don't get the air time. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. And I've been there as well, you know, good and bad. Now, we want to move on slightly before we come back, talk a bit about Penny's book. Thomas, your book, Tokenomics, what's it all about? Yes. So this all started in 2014 when I was invited to New Zealand to join this board, Nine Spokes, and I met the gentleman behind this platform, Chinese guy, Sean O. And he said to me, do you know what a Bitcoin is? And I said, no. And he proceeded to show me his house powered by Bitcoin miners driving the heat and pushing water around his house. And I was just sort of blown away by this guy who was like the chief engineer of this software company. And I just started learning it and learning it and learning it and learning it. Went to lots of conferences and started to hear this word blockchain. I, my good friend Don Tapscott in Canada had written The Blockchain Revolution. Oh, yeah, I read that book, and yeah. And I remember Don spoke many times at Academy and he had a book called Wikinomics um, many years ago. I can't even remember what year Wikinomics was. And so I, I read The Blockchain Revolution. I, I talked with Sean. I, I then went to all these conferences. I heard the term ICO, initial coin offering, and tokens. And I said to Sean, do you think all of this thing that's emerging, it, it's like sort of token economics? It's like a new form of funding startups and I, I spoke to Don and I said, would you be all right if I took Wikinomics and created something called Tokenomics with Sean? And he said, get on with it. We need the blockchain revolution everywhere. And really from talking to him and Sean and studying, going to these conferences, interviewing lots of people, reading all these white papers that you'll be familiar with, I sort of got this this... It's kind of ABC that, that AI is important, blockchain is important, climate change is important, and somehow the tokens are going to glue it all together. And so that's why we did this, uh, this tome, 450 pages of slog, <laughs> took a couple of years. Um, I give credit goes to Sean because he put a lot more effort into uh, the research and the reading than me. He's a, he's a true software engineer. I'm a sales and marketing guy. Uh, but I'm very pleased with this uh, piece, and I, I I do think every brand, every government, every organisation does now need a an artificial intelligence, blockchain, climate change strategy, and I think the tokens are the glue, and I, I call this new world tokenomics. So, so my 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 uh, understanding of the blockchain is there are two parts to it. So. I guess it's like the internet and the web. The internet is a network of computers, the IP, so the the way that computers talk to each other, and the web is a layer on top of how data talks to it. So with the blockchain, it's a 
in layman's terms, it's a distributed network of databases where the data is non-repudiated, i.e. once it's written to the database, it can't be changed. But it is distributed, so everyone has a copy of it. Yes. Which is great for, for businesses like, you know, uh, I guess selling houses or cars, you know, where, where it's a factual piece of data. And I think that, as a piece of technology, is going to go uh, much faster. I mean, Tim Berners-Lee's come out with his second business called Solid, which is, I guess, the anathema against Facebook, against Twitter, you know, trying to have siloed information, you know, and trying to break it back down to where we own our data. You know, it, there was a wonderful time when we all had our blogs and our RSS existed and we were all, you know, interconnected. And it, suddenly we all lost that. That all disappeared one day. I think it was big business thought, hmm, we can't control that lot. We're going to suck it all back into the centre and make money. Um, but coins and bitcoin i still uh, i haven't dipped my toe into that at all you know it, it, it was it, that you know talking of roller coasters of business well that's a roller coaster of finance i mean that's gone through the roof uh, and back down i don't know what bitcoin's currently trading at it's you know scraping uh, bottoms of barrels i believe yeah it's i think it's about three and a half thousand right now it's been up and down but you know it is a lot like dot com yes it is if you if you go back and you think dot com was basically about e-commerce and tokens and coins and bitcoins are basically about the blockchain we've kind of swapped e-commerce for blockchain and put 20 years between them yeah but, but my worry is just as it was about the dot com bubble and bust um a lot of icos um you know, where companies say, right, instead of me going to raise money through a VC, I'm going to raise money by issuing tokens in my company, like shares. And there was lots of scams and frauds. And so how, how do you tell the difference between what's a bit scammy and what's a bit, bit true? I mean, you know, do you just have to, you know, suck it in see, you know, go with your gut? What, what, what's the good value there? You're right, there have been a lot of scams. I mean, there's been talk of 80% of them being scams. And I think that's why the SEC and the FCA in the UK have got involved. And now the ICO this year has become the STO. What's the STO? The, Too many acronyms in that one there. The Security Token Offering. Yes. So it's sort of the regulated token offering approved by the FCA. And the first of those takes place next month, Token Market, and another one after that is Oli at Almond in the spring. So we're, we're seeing the beginning of the regulator token. Which is go an, an anathema to what it is, because fundamentally what, what we had was the gatekeepers were the banks and, and the VCs, you know, for startups. So the money people controlled the wealth. Then when you came along with this brilliant thing called bitcoins and and blockchain that was distributing it and not it broke up the gatekeepers, but now we're saying oh no 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 you're not allowed to play with money, we want it all back and under our control. So these STOs are just basically a case of saying right it's all back to the banks, all back to regulation. No one can do anything without us. Um, so was, was, kind, was kind of, but not really. You see, I think the upside of the token is you can. It, the token is the competitor to the VC, to so, the traditional capital markets that invest in high-risk assets like startups. Right. So, and therefore, when you're a, you've got a new idea, you can now buy into that idea and get a token. But as, that's just like you, buying a share in a company, though. It is, but it's not public company. It's a private startup. 
I, I get that. And a, a startup typically needs high net worth individuals to put in 20, 50, 100,000, 10, 20 people to get your first half a million or a million bucks to get you started. Now people have been able to buy into ideas and the token, if you like, if you go back to Academy days, it's a, it was a, it's a lot like what we did with Blackstar. You, you bought a token in an idea. So would you, okay, going back to Academy potentially 2.0, would you issue a token and start that way? I have spent a lot of time thinking about that, but we haven't made a decision to go. No, I'm not saying you have, and I'm not. I'm not trying to put you into a situation where you you publicly say anything. But hypothetically, would you know? Could that be a way of starting funding something like an eAcademy 2.0? Yes, certainly. Yes, certainly. There uh, is a, there is definitely a model behind that. There is definitely a model there because I think people want to buy into ideas, and at the moment, the people who buy into ideas are the big money the high net worth individuals and the large scale institutions and that lets the ordinary person the small person who wants to invest a thousand pounds or a hundred pounds the ico the sto is a lot like digital crowdfunding i see i'm still confused okay i'm i'm going to be really honest and say i'm confused i've raised money before you've raised money before yeah i've gone to high net worths pre-public offering where I've gone under EIS rules or SERs, the Enterprise Investment Scheme in mm. this country where it's tax relieved and, and I've said to the high net worth, look, I've got this great idea, will you buy some shares in my company and do it under EIS, HMRC approved and they go, yeah, great so I know that if I invest into your company it all goes wrong, I can at least get 75% of my value back or 95% if it's an SEIS great, so lovely safety net placed under it i go and say thomas power inc and you've issued some stos as you call them and i buy them what's my upside and um, um, is there a safety net on it I, I, i'm still struggling to find why why i would do that rather than do an eis traditional investment where i still get shares well remember with tokens you're not getting shares no but they're, they're, they're the so equivalent that- so you're getting uh, so what is if you're not getting shares do you have any ownership in the company or is it just a funding that you're getting just a funding you don't have ownership in the in the company okay you're you're, you're just getting a token in the idea and i th- the reason i i do like it is it's it's basically community funded ideas and the community member gets a token for believing in the idea. Does that give liquidity then? Is that the value? Because can I then exchange my token with somebody else without having to talk to the company? Whereas if it was a share, I'd have to go back to the company and say I'm about to sell my share. Whereas if it's my token, I literally can go, right, Thomas, you you know, my token's worth X today. You can buy into that company from me. But we don't actually talk to the company. Is that the value in it? Yes, you're right. There is there is the liquidity benefit. You can trade the token with your peers. You can trade them on an exchange. But if you think about dot-com, when Amazon floated back in May 1997, every thousand pounds you put in Amazon in 97 is now a million pounds. And how many people do we know who bought that? Sadly, not me that share in Amazon. We didn't, you didn't, I don't know anybody who did. Somebody obviously did. Now, 20 years later, we see we've been left with, having started with 10,000.coms, we've got two handfuls of winners. And we're going to see something similar on tokenomics and blockchain. And what people want to do is buy into a series of ideas 
they want to buy into a basket of ideas and hopefully one or two of those come home for them and by getting a token in these new startups in these ideas that they're creating and being able to exchange those tokens so i don't i've gone off that idea i'm going to try this idea but who do you sell the token to this on an exchange you have to have a buyer and if yep. you've gone off the idea who's to say the company hasn't just become totally irrelevant well, there are about 100 million people trading these tokens now around the world. But on multiple, multiple exchanges. On there's multiple not, exchanges. There isn't a single central exchange right now. So there it's are not a like couple saying, of big ones like Binance and Coinbase, but there are many, many exchanges. Yeah. And the good thing about the exchanges, it puts liquidity into the market. The, the big drop has made, has made the market very painful. But if you think we've got about 5,000 new co's that have been born as a result of this financial mechanism, if I can call it that. If you go back to 1999, we had about 5,000 dot-coms. So we've got 5,000 token co's, crypto co's, whatever label you wish to give to those new co's. If we look at dot-com, we know 99% failed, 1% came through, and the 1% came through are now monsters. Yeah. Logic says we're going to see the same thing with these token codes and crypto codes. But the difference here is I think the tokens are heavily related to climate change. Uh, and I tend to think the token codes, these crypto codes, are going to be bought by the brands to incentivize people and to reward people for lowering their CO2 footprint, for reducing their waste, reducing their com consumption. And they're going to get like a uh, like a Tesco Club card, a My Waitrose card, a Digital Green Shield Steps, a Nectar card, and these tokens are all going to be based around supporting the move to climate change. Because I think all the brands are going to have a climate change strategy based around these tokens, and these new codes are going to be absorbed by those brands. At least those new codes that have made it through this tough new startup world, which is brutal. Yeah. I, okay. So I, I see where you're going with. The token. I can I just play devil's advocate sure. for a minute. So we talked about earlier with you know the academy experience of you know in this country trying to find the well the high net worths and the VCs and the angels um, to to get into this and and, and the VC VC is a you know a, a chums club in this country. You know in, unless you're in the chums club, you're not going to get it very often. Does this though? The VC could turn around and say, well, we're professional investors. You, as the person who's just investing into an STO, just happen to be a rich person who doesn't know anything about business. You just happen to be investing into something that you like. Do you do... Have you done your proper due diligence? Are you going to get burnt? Are you going to be a web1.0.com failure investor? Because you just don't know what you're doing. Is that, is, is that, you know, is that the game that might come? Because what you're doing is circumventing the VC. I don't think you're circumventing them. You're giving them a competitor and giving them the opportunity to invest in where tokens are heavily sold. It might be an asset they've missed, they've failed to investigate, they've failed to do due diligence on. And also, if you have successfully sold a lot of tokens to your community members, you've motivated a VC or private equity or high net worth individuals to consider that asset. So it's, it, it's, a, it, it's a prod, it's a nudge, it's a push to the traditional capital markets and the traditional VCs. And it's given, it's given new young entrepreneurs a mechanism to get member support for their ideas. And the reason I like it so much is because 
Academy was funded by a few high net worth individuals, but basically it was funded by the members. It was a, it was a. So you would have done an, a, an STO in the day, then I guess. Yes, I think in many ways, if you think about the the three different subscriptions levels we launched, the bronze, silver, and gold, if you like. It was the equivalent of raising capital from the members to support the idea. Um, we sent them like a, a life membership certificate, which was like a token. But obviously there was no market, there was no liquidity. You couldn't trade them and exchange them like you can now. And you know you've got the same experience of me of uh, building companies and failing and building companies and succeeding. And, and you know teams, good teams can can make a bad yep. product work and, yep. and and bad teams can kill a good product and i think the the of the 5000 token co's that have been born a couple of hundred of them are not bad they're pretty good we don't know which of those couple of hundred are going to make it through the next few years what with another election a brexit an economic correction we just don't know and I think the VCs might cut them off. Traditional private equity might cut them off. You've experienced being cut mm -hmm. off. We've been experienced being cut off when you just can't quite get there. Those, that token capital gives them a chance of crossing that painful bridge, uh, the chasm, as uh, Jeffrey Moore liked to call it, and getting to the other side, perhaps without traditional capital markets. And if they get through that and can do subsequent uh, listings of tokens, we might see a new kind of company be born, funded by the members for the members, which is really what we believed in with Academy, but we failed to perfect. We had the idea... Well, it wasn't there. You could, didn't fail to perfect. There wasn't a model. Uh, yeah, but we, we had the thought of the model. We just didn't know how to create yeah. it. And so uh, I see a lot of new co's born here, and... If, if like .com, we see 10,000 new co's, crypto co's, and 1% get through, 99% fail, there's 100 new co's there that have developed a new financing model, which is a competitor to traditional capital markets, VCs, private equity, high net worths. And they need a competitor too. They do need a competitor. Because as you say, it's a chums club, they're very arrogant. If you have the capital, you're in a strong position. Now they're being taken on by a, uh, a member-get-member community-supported token model. It's a threat. Bring it on. Yeah, no, I, and I'm happy for anything that will disrupt the VC market because I think it needs it, personally. They, they always talk about, you know, startups disrupting business. I think they're the one business that needs disrupting, personally, altogether. Yeah, um, to that. So uh, we're actually going to have a show dedicated to talking about blockchain and um, all things token. I'm going to invite you back on it. It's the 13th of February. You don't have to come. We'll talk offline. That's my 55th birthday. Oh, lovely. Well, if you can make it, I'll bring a cake in for you. But it's with Charlie Cox as well, who's been doing a lot in this space. Uh, so we're going to have a dedicated program about that. Um, Penny, going back to you then. So the book's out today. You had the launch last night. It's it's a great read. I have read it all the way through or listened to it on Audible all the way through. Thank you. You were in my ears for seven hours. <laughs> um, is there like one my husband. <laughs> is there one thing in the book that you would really want people to take away from it? Gosh, that's a great question. I think what I wanted to do, I had to 
I had to really um, summon up some courage to be as open as I am in it. Um, and I think my feeling is that there's this huge agenda around mental health. And there's, um, you know, there can never be enough support of it. And I think we have to be careful about unnatural anxious feelings, just, you know, labelling them being ang having anxiety or low mood being depressed. But the reality is, since over the last six or seven months, I've been talking more openly. As somebody who looks shiny on the social media world, um, I think I want to shine a light as a torchbearer on the fact that it's, um, it's normal to have a tough time in business. And that's not be being negative. It's actually giving people permission to realise that everybody else is hurting in some way. And when you have your dark moments, don't feel alone. And it's been incredible how many people have contacted me and told me, people who I see online, who I've known for years, some of them 15 years, who have now contacted me because they've um, been reading some of my posts and, or maybe seen my speech and told me they've been suffering anxiety or depression for you years. Call, you called um, people who can help you earth angels. I did. Well, one of my things I talk about is our strengths and our overdone strengths. And one of mine, and I think one of the typical entrepreneur's strengths, is independence. You wouldn't go out on your own unless you're quite an independent person. When it's overdone, you really don't like reaching out for help. You find it hard to deeply show vulnerability. And um, my earth angels, some of them I have known these people, friends, um, business acquaintances for years. I just didn't have the ears open to the knowledge they had. And I talk about them in my book and, and I encourage people as their torchbearer on the subject to find their people around them that might be able to shine a light on some knowledge that could help them. Or even, and I, I think this is very important, go to the professionals. You know, people that study psychology and become psychologists, um, they have done that for a very good reason and they're working on your mind. And it took me six months to change my life. And I really mean it. And, and it's possible to really be free again inside. Nothing massive has changed in my life since, but I'm happier than I have ever been. And if we wanted to get more info, can we go online anywhere for it? Yeah, I've, well, pennypower.co.uk I, I, is where information about my book, but I've got a blog that's where I'm going to be adding more and more resources and any experts out there that would like me to highlight the resources, I want to uh, highlight them. Just leaves me to say thank you, Penny. Thank you, Thomas, for coming in today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, it was wonderful. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk, or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.